Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Hi, I'm Paula. I'm one of the pastors here. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And we're so glad you're with us tonight when we, again, have no air conditioning. So as soon as I walked in and saw it was 75, I thought, we're in trouble because we have it set for 67 for the afternoon. But there's not much we can do about it. So it is what it is. So if you get a little bit hot, you can take your sweater off. I cannot. Because I just have to leave it on. So it's just the way it is. This is my favorite one of two nights of the year. It's our What Left Hand Means to Me service. As some of you know, we had three different churches start us. Denver Community Church in Denver. Uh, Forefront Church in Brooklyn, New York, and Highlands Church in Denver. Highlands Church is where we got our ethos, and Highlands is where we got the idea hand means to me. They call theirs the living spirit. They do it twice. We do ours twice. We just love doing it twice. Once in the fall and once in the spring. We ask our members to come and with us about hand means to me. And so our first person who's going to be speaking tonight is one of our newest members. Sean Lawton comes to us from the Washington, D.C. area. Sean owns his own business. He's a speaker's representative. He actually works with a competing agency to the agency that represents me. Uh, in fact, he just had a conversation with him this past week, he was telling me. And Sean and Mabel are with us pretty much every week. And so, Sean, we're going to ask you to come up first and share with us what left hand means to me. Hi. Hi. My name's Sean. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I haven't been here very long, so I don't have a detailed, ornate history, and I don't know most of your names, but... Um, to understand what this community has come to mean to me in such a short period of time, you kind of have to know how I got here. When I was growing up, my mother had two books that always stayed on her nightstand. There was the King James Bible, which was the only acceptable translation, and the 1972 Manual of the Church of the Nazarene. It was 472 pages of clear definitions and proclamations for all members of the church. Whenever I faced challenges or confusion, we first consulted scripture, and if the answer wasn't there, we consulted our church manual, which wasn't too unlike the manual that comes with a new appliance. This made life very simple for me. 
can I go to the middle school dance? While the Bible does mention dancing, it was only appropriate in a holy celebration, which my middle school dance most definitely was not. So the manual made it very clear for us. Dancing in a secular environment was displeasing. Quote, we hold specifically that the following practice should be avoided. All forms of dancing that detract from spiritual growth and break down proper moral inhibitions and reserve. So no middle school dance for me. And if you've seen my embarrassing attempts at dancing as an adult, you can blame the Nazarenes for a lack of practice. Mom, can I go see the new Star Wars movie? Well, there's nothing in the New Testament on this, but the manual made it clear. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And since there was no discernible spiritual benefit, PG movies were off limits. Quote, we hold specifically that the following practice should be avoided. Entertainments that are subversive of the Christian ethic, avoidance of all types of entertainment ventures and media productions that produce, promote, or feature the violent, the sensual, the pornographic, the profane, or the occultic, or which feature or glamorize the world's philosophy of secularism, sensualism, and materialism, and undermine God's standard of holiness of heart and life. So Luke Skywalker had to wait. For 14 or so years, that was my journey. Questions were met with very definitive answers. While I was sometimes disappointed with those answers, I was told that following these rules was the only one sure way to heaven. And for an adolescent, I spent way too much time pondering death and an afterlife that would either punish or reward my days on earth. When I got to high school and college, the challenges became a bit more nuanced. There wasn't always a clear answer. And I found more and more when one of these books didn't provide clarity, I was left with confusion. And in cases where there was clarity, such as, can my gay friend come home over fall break, I felt that the answer was wrong. So my struggle came from a foundation where goodness is black and white, and when the world turned gray for me, I was lost. Not too far into my college existence, I had my first of many mental breakdowns and sought help from the counseling center. I was diagnosed with depression. When I eventually found my way to seek professional help, a therapist told me, Sean, you're never going to get any better if you keep believing in the Bible. At that point, I simply abandoned church life, but I never lost my faith. And looking back, I think what that therapist was telling me is, you can't always expect a clear answer. Life is messy. And I truly believe life is messy by holy design. God exists in the margins, in those gray areas. And in the confusion and the chaos are when I have most often found the presence of God in my life. I have come to understand that it is only in the striving and the searching that allows us to truly understand the ridiculousness of God's love for us. The evangelical churches I grew up in didn't allow for messy. We were always working to be the best. There was always a very clear right and wrong. There is heaven and there is hell. There are winners and there are losers. And that was never going to work for me. Because you see, I am a mess. I was always terrified to pray out loud for fear of saying the wrong words. I accidentally used the S word once at a Bible study and I was certain that I would be excommunicated. I remember feeling shame whenever I messed up. When I couldn't pronounce those Old Testament names as well as others, I felt I was somehow falling short. 
While I did eventually find a progressively-minded church in my adult years, I had to leave that family behind when I left Virginia to come to Colorado in 2017. And that's when things got really messy. I came here for a better life for myself and my family. I felt that this was the right thing to do. So since leaving the only area code I had ever known and a 20-year professional career, I have faced more challenges than I ever could have imagined. I have been through two lawsuits with my last two employers, and that led me to start my own business. Knowing that I needed help with this new business, because I am anything but an entrepreneur, I asked my wife to help me get the business off the ground. Three weeks into this new venture, she asked for a divorce. Before Colorado, I had changed addresses twice in my first four decades of life. I have moved three times in the past four years alone. So as the pandemic threatened the last remaining bit of hope left in my being, I stumbled upon Left Hand Church virtually. I lurked there intermittently during the quarantine and could not wait to meet every one of you in person. So that first Sunday, when we finally came together in person in this beautiful new space, and Heather Lynn started the service with a Natalie Merchant song, a secular song in church, I knew immediately that I was home. At left hand, we don't come together to debate scripture or reach conclusions. There's room for errors. There's room for questions. There's room for disagreement. I have never felt that in spite of so many of us sharing so many similar points of view, that it will ever be necessary for us to have a consensus on anything. Our spiritual community is not a monolith. I no longer feel the need to apologize for being messy. I have surrendered. I know that whenever I set intentions for getting my life together, God laughs. This week, I'm going to wake up on the first alarm and not touch the snooze bar. I'm going to drink 80 ounces of water every day, and I'm going to log those 10,000 steps every day. I've usually abandoned this plan by Wednesday, but when I give thanks for being a weirdo and massively imperfect in every possible way, I feel most in alignment with God's love for me. My messiness allows God to do their work and for God's will to be done. We all know God has a great sense of humor. When I first decided to seek out a church family in Longmont, one of my prompts was, well, in a new church, perhaps I'll find a similarly-minded woman to date. So it only figures that God led me to the only church in Colorado where that is least likely to happen. <laughs> I want to learn how to love better. And I know when we use the word love at left hand, we understand that's not a hallmark sentiment. We know love is hard. And from the first time I came here, I never felt like I had to hide my messiness. So I feel a strong sense of belonging that I've never had at a church before. As most of you know, I have a six-year-old daughter named Mabel, and I want to give her the opportunity to explore her own spirituality. I don't want her to grow up feeling shame or that having questions is a sign of weak-mindedness. She's six. She has lots of questions. And when she started joining me here, it was clear she was going to have even more questions. But she now knows that the answer, such as it is, usually has the word love in it. I don't want her to ever observe a messy life, hers or anyone else's, and see it as anything short of divine. So thank you for letting me join you, along with all my chaos and mayhem. Thank you for having ethos instead of rules. Thank you for not having a manual. Thank you for all being beautifully weird like me. 
Let us revel in our messiness. Oh, I love that, Sean. Thank you so, so much. That was so, so delightful. I think we're going to um, actually try turning the fans on. Is that what I... I don't have my glasses on, so I could not read the message I received. We will not have music again until after we've had all four speakers. So we might want to go ahead and turn the fan on. And then just kind of let us know if you can't hear, and we'll try to do our best to take care of all that. Sorry about that. Second time it's happened since we've been in this building. So Nancy Ramsdahl, the first week she was here, we had a conversation about her having grown up in Brooklyn, New York, and realized she grew up just a hop, skip, and away from the very first ministry I had in 1984 to 1986 when I was 12 <laughs> in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and also found out that one of the churches we planted on Long Island, it's actually grown to be the largest church we planted on Long Island, about 2,000 people. Their lead pastor, who continues to be a good friend of mine, actually used to go to church camp with Nancy. So it's always good when you realize it's a small world. Nancy, come speak with us. <laughs> we should have done the tall people first. <laughs> I am Nancy, my pronouns are she, hers. Let's get this. Okay. Um, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> when John first asked me to speak today, the reserved Norwegian inside of me said, why should I speak? I'm boring. After I thought about it for a while, I decided that my story might be helpful to someone else, so I agreed to do it. Um, as Paula said, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and church was a regular part of my life from as far back as I can remember. My family attended a Norwegian Lutheran church that my ancestors basically picked up from Norway and put down in Brooklyn when they emigrated there in the early 1900s. My dad said this was because the Church of Norway was too liberal. To say that it was a conservative environment would be an understatement. There was a long list of rules. And Sean, there was also no dancing there. <laughs> I remember around age six, I felt a calling from the Holy Spirit and asked Jesus to come into my heart so I could have a relationship with God, as that's what I had been taught was required. At 13, I went through confirmation and learned my quotes from Luther's catechism. Throughout high school, I was involved in the youth group and participated in three overseas mission trips to perform services for people in need. And then I attended a Christian college and graduated with a degree in youth ministry. After graduation, I left the church for several years. I felt like I needed to deprogram myself. I was also going through a serious questioning of my faith as several of my friends from junior high school and high school had come out as LGBTQ+ and I saw that they were no longer welcome in my church. I got married two months after college graduation and lived in Old Town, Maine for a year and a half with my first husband while he finished college. 
Once he graduated, we moved to Portland, Maine, and ended up becoming involved with a church that had a second service that felt more like what I was looking for in a church. They had coffee and popcorn, and it was okay if you had questions. After being there a year or two, there was a financial crisis, and I was added to the team that would come up with solutions. It became very clear to me very quickly that the main solution they wanted was to propose firing the second pastor who led the service I was involved in, and that this was the only way the church was going to make ends meet. It was heartbreaking going through the process of watching all of this play out as my pastor was kicked out and the second service dissolved. We did end up getting a reprieve as the local synod reached out and offered to fund our pastor's salary for a period of time if he wanted to plant a new church. So the open house church was established. And shout out to Carl Anderson and the virtual group, because he's joined me there. And we've been happy to join together and go to church together for the first time in 15 years. I didn't get to see this plan all the way through as there were problems in my marriage. They all came to a head one day and suddenly I lost my spouse, my house, my pets, my job, and half of my family and friends in one fell swoop. I moved back to Brooklyn for a while with my parents, then spent a couple of years bouncing around between West Orange, New Jersey, and Albany, New York. And in Albany, New York is where I met Anthony and three weeks later, I was moving to Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago, we dated for nine months and married within a year. After that, we settled into the Bridgeport neighborhood on the south side and decided to check out the ELCA Lutheran Church located a few blocks away. When we started attending, we found out that a new pastor had just started two weeks before, and we really liked his social justice messages as well as the jamming jazz band that provided music for the services. But two years later, we had an infant, and we needed help caring for her. And our apartment flooded. So we decided it was time to move and be closer to family. The question was, Brooklyn or Boulder? In September 2010, we moved to Boulder to be near Anthony's family. To expand our social circle, I got involved in a local production of the Vagina Monologues, where I met Nicole Garcia. I also started officiating for the local women's flat track roller derby league. We visited a bunch of churches in the area, but it was hard to find one that felt like the right fit. They'd have a nice service, but no children's program. Or they'd have good music and a kid's program, but not much substance to the sermons. One church we had been attending publicly criticized a local teenager who had used their valedictorian speech to come out to their fellow students. That's when we decided to take a break from looking for a church home. I often lamented to Anthony but, that I wished I could find a church that was open and affirming of LGBTQ plus folks like we were in roller derby. After a trip out east to visit family in June 2018, I noticed a post on my Facebook feed from Nicole Garcia. She had been to visit a really cool church, and I said to myself, if Nicole likes it, I'll probably like it. She told me about Left Hand Church and that the services were on Saturday evenings. This had been another difficulty in our church search since I decided to stop fighting my reversed sleep schedule after I retired from working due to disability. There are not many churches that meet outside of the 9 to 11 a.m. window on Sunday morning. <laughs> 
A Saturday two or two after that, I visited Left Hand Church for the first time. I remember the first thing I felt was comfortable, which was pretty unusual for me when in a new place for the first time. It felt really nice. The music was awesome. The sermon was insightful and made me think. The announcement said that there was a children's program available during the service, and I got excited because I could tell that there were a whole bunch of different people here and everybody was welcome. I went home and told my family that we had to check it out, and we've been attending regularly ever since then. So what does left-hand church mean to me? It's hard for me to put that into words because I tend to be pretty reserved when it comes to expressing how I feel about the things I care about. I'm more of a acts of service kind of expressive person. <laughs> it's a place where I feel like I belong. I look forward to it every week. Many of you have been there for me through unexpected times over the last two years, and I really appreciate the support. And there's many of you that I need to meet and get to know better. I just love the feeling that we're all in this together. We're all accepted just as we are, wherever we're at in life. Especially during this last year and a half, that's given me a lot of comfort. Thanks. Because if you officiate in women's roller derby, this is where you come to church. <laughs> Just saying, we're special in a lot of different ways. Thank you so much, Nancy. That was so delightful. Which church were you in in Bay Ridge? Fifth. Oh, geez, I used to run past that church all the time. I I knew the Bethany Church too. We're just going to talk about this for a while. Yeah, that's. Small world. So when we were getting ready to start this church, I'm one of the founding pastors. We were looking for a children's minister. And one of our founding pastors knew Kimberly McKay. And she said she'll be absolutely perfect to help us get underway in that regard. And who knows, maybe her family will come to church. And so she came. She began working with our children. And we were so excited. And her kids came. And that was wonderful. And then her husband came. And we're like, hmm. It was interesting, as soon as Cameron arrived, I thought, oh, we have a serious theologian in our midst. He knew the questions to ask me. He knew, because he's been paying attention to what the scriptures say for a very, very long time. There are not many people I have a higher regard for than Cameron McKay. Cameron. Well, we'll, uh, we'll fix the higher regard thing uh, by the time I'm done with this here, but I appreciate the intro, Paula. So has anyone else here besides me found it easy to be just a little bit critical about things during the pandemic? Like, how many rolls of toilet paper could you possibly put in your shopping cart? Is this an appropriate number? Or maybe wondering whether one of your acquaintances is spending a truly healthy amount of time on their sourdough bread hobby? But uh, being critical, of course, is not just a pandemic thing. It's a human thing. Decades ago, one of our great moral philosophers, George Carlin, observed, have you ever noticed when you're driving that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac? He understood the human need to judge and to criticize. 
Almost a century ago, Sigmund Freud noted that if we don't have big things to criticize or fight about, we'll just find little ones instead. He called that the narcissism of small differences. And a couple of thousand years ago, Jesus taught us to pray by saying, our Father in heaven, we'll skip forward a bit here, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's hard for me to forgive my debtors if I'm paying attention to the 400 rolls of toilet paper they have in their shopping cart. But I didn't really think about how I was honing these skills of criticism during the pandemic. I just complained occasionally to my friends, or let's be honest, complained pretty frequently to my friends. And then I continued on with life. And then, then a family friend of ours got COVID. He was one of the folks who made fun of the virus, who never wore a mask, who chose not to get vaccinated. He gave the virus to his wife, to his kids, to his parents, and then he ended up in the hospital, and not just anywhere in the hospital, but in the ICU. And what was my reaction when I heard about this? Did I respond to this as someone who has been deeply formed by God's spirit, exhibiting love and peace and patience and kindness? Nah. My first thought when I heard this was something like, well, he reaped what he sowed. And then I was overcome with guilt. Without even realizing it, I had made myself into a person who could take some kind of satisfaction in the suffering of another human being, somebody made in the image of God. I had sown self-righteous criticism, and this is what I had reaped. In that moment, something within me cried out to God. I know that God loves us unconditionally, but I prayed that in God's love, God would have mercy on me and not leave me to my criticism and my lack of empathy. So why do I tell you this whole story here today? I tell you this, I share this with you, even though I'm very much not proud of it, because I'd like you to understand more fully what this church means to me. You see, my favorite part of services here at Left Hand is communion. It's a multi-sensory reminder for me every week of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed for you. When I dismissed the suffering of a family friend, I needed to be reminded yet again that God sees me at my worst and still, and still God offers me love and mercy and forgiveness. This church, this church is a place where I can come week after week after week to encounter God's forgiveness. And that is what left hand means to me. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Now you see why I love this service so much and why I love our people so much. And you know, if this church did not exist, we would have to invent it. Did you know that there are only about 40 churches like ours in the whole nation? Churches that have the kind of music we have every week, that are independent congregations, that have a generous theology, that have the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. There's only about 40 in the whole country. If this one didn't exist, we would have to invent it. But we do exist. One of our sister congregations is one of my favorite, Sojourn Grace in San Diego, California. Colby and Kate Martin pastor there. I have known them for quite some time. I wrote a couple of blurbs for Colby's books. He's written a couple of blurbs for mine. And he said to me, when a member of his first moved here, oh, you want to meet Mary Jo Highland. She is one of a kind. And he said it with that same, has, you know, with the timing that a pastor knows. Paula, she is one of a kind. Mary Jo, talk to us. I think they saved the wordiest for the last. <laughs> so, sorry if I'm keeping you from August's treats. I'm not sure where to put this mask. All right. My story is pretty unique, so I wasn't sure if it would really be valuable to share. And then I thought about something that Kate Martin said to us, which is, um, all stories are holy because they bind the community together. So hopefully you can find something of worth and some connection in my story. Thanks for being here to listen. So again, I'm Mary Jo, my pronouns are she, hers, and here's a little trick to help you remember my name. Um, and you'll never confuse me with a Mary Lou or a simple Mary ever again. My parents were a Roman Catholic priest and a nun. And get this, their names, Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Mary and Joseph, Mary Jo. There were jokes in my family about what my name would have been if I were a boy, but my parents only had me, so I never got to find out if naming their child Jesus was a bluff or not. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, priests aren't supposed to get married. Nuns are married to the church or to Jesus or whoever they are married to. Um, <laughs> and as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, you're right. But uh, supposed to is not really a theme for the Highlands. You'll, you'll find that out in a little bit. So it was my dad, the priest, my mom, the nun, and her parents. And uh, we would have mass at home around our dining room table, sometimes in our pajamas. I've been asked, so you never went to church? Well... You see, Catholics use this little booklet in church that has all the readings and the responses in it. It's called the Missal. So we did go to church once a year, 
the Sunday that the yearly missiles were put out in the pews, and we would follow along for that one service, and then we would take those missiles and bring them home and have mass around our dining room table the rest of the year. So I do know a little bit about what a Catholic service, a traditional Catholic service is like. But the rest of the year when we had mass around the table, it would be my dad who would deliver a homily, which you would know as a sermon. And we would have communion every week. We would share bread and we would share wine. And if anyone ever came to visit, if we ever had company, they were welcome at the table and everyone was welcome to have communion with us. So that's what I learned church was. Everyone was welcome to fully participate. I was always welcome to fully participate from childhood. And even though it was my dad who gave those homilies, it was my mom who was really my preacher, my spiritual teacher in my life. She would rewrite traditional prayers so they would have feminist language. And I heard God referred to as Mother God than as our, than as our Father so much more frequently. There were just all kinds of embedded feminist language in our masses growing up. Doubt and, and questioning were encouraged. When I would ask my dad and looking for a definite answer, he usually would answer, the beauty is in the mystery. Well, that sounds great now as adults. We love that answer. But as a kid, I wanted the answer. I wanted the definitive answer. So much so that I started taking the Bible literally as a child, even though that wasn't what was taught around our dining room table. Once I even wore a pro-life shirt to high school, I got home from school. My mom took one look at that shirt and said, I want to get her words right, do you really believe that Jesus doesn't hold women's decisions about their bodies as holy? Never wore that shirt again. So now you see why my story is so different and so unique. I had the accepting, loving, compassionate Mother God. And I, I adored this Mother God that was in my life. And then, because of the Catholic influence, we also, and because of my mother's name, we also talked about Mary, Jesus' mother, the human manifestation of this maternal love. So Jesus was the first person I met who had two moms, Mother God, Mother Mary. So I was raised Catholic without the baggage. I got some of the Catholic teachings, like reverence for Mary, love of service, liberation theology, without the guilt, without the confessions, without the feelings of unworthiness. When I was an adult, I needed to find a church of my own, and the Catholic church didn't resonate with me. No one called God mother, and women really weren't allowed to do anything except for teach Sunday school. And since I was such a good ally, we're going to get to that in a minute. I wanted to worship at a church that was fully welcoming to the queer rainbow. So I landed at a Disciples of Christ church for a while. 
And when I was 33, that's another Mary and Joseph reference for those of you following along, I came out. I had been happily married to a man for 10 years. We had two small children. And then, bam, circumstances caused me to take a hard look at my sexuality. For the sake of time, I'm going to give you the really brief version. I divorced and eventually married a woman. Shortly after we were married, she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, the really bad kind, the fatal kind. Now, even though I was raised with and truly believed in a loving and accepting Mother God, mainstream American Christian theology is pervasive and damaging. Even though I believed in a God of grace rather than punishment, that culture made me wonder if my gayness had caused her cancer. That's how damaging fundamentalist culture can be, even for someone who wasn't raised in it and someone who didn't believe a lick of it. I've wondered why it took me until I was 33, happy and established, to acknowledge my own sexuality. There are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of reasons why. And each of them by themselves are not a complete explanation, but I want to talk about two. One of them being that mainstream American Christian culture. It pervades more than we realize. Even though I didn't personally think there was anything wrong with being gay, I sure knew my country did. Gay people couldn't get married. They got kicked out of their families and their homes. They lost their jobs. So even though I didn't personally think there was anything wrong with being gay, I also didn't identify with a group that was so set apart from being accepted. The second reason is that I didn't have any gay and lesbian role models. Gays in the media were usually the butt of a joke. It wasn't until I graduated from college that Ellen came out. And besides the representation in the media, the lack of it, I didn't have any representation in my own life of gays, gay and lesbian role models. So many of the people who would have been my gay elders died in the AIDS epidemic. I didn't have a gay uncle to sit me down and spill the tea with me. And it is when we are around people who are authentically themselves that we learn to be authentically ourselves. Paula will want me to say that one again. It is when we are around people who are authentically themselves that we learn to be authentically ourselves. I think that's why straight people like pride. Well, that and the rainbows. Everybody loves the rainbows. So back to church. I'm out. I'm recovering from my momentary lapse of believing this mainstream American theology and back in the good graces of a good place with my kick-ass mother God. When I meet a couple who want to start a church, they have about 10 or so friends that start meeting in their living room. It's a common theme for me, to, to worship, and I get invited to join. Right away, I notice that everyone except me has something in common. They were all brought up in fundamentalist evangelical Christianity, and they're using that experience and their trauma from it to define who they want to be as a church. 
As someone who didn't have that experience, I spoke up at our first business meeting and basically said, you know, I, I get that we know who we don't want to be, but do we know who we want to be? Are we defining ourselves by our collective trauma or by our collective freedom? They answered by making me a board member. That church would eventually get named Sojourn Grace Collective, and one of the pastors, Colby Martin, would go on to write a few famous books, one of them being Unclobber, about what the Bible really has to say about homosexuality. After my wife passed, I moved to Boulder, and shortly after that, Colby messaged me that some people he knew were starting a church, and they were having a dinner in their living room. That sounded familiar, so I was in. I knew that was my kind of church. And that's how I found Left Hand. Again, I was a little bit of an outsider because I hadn't been damaged by my religious upbringing. Again, I wondered if collective trauma would be our guiding force. I wondered if more of our energy would be spent looking back at that trauma rather than looking forward to what we could become and how we could serve the community. Honestly, I think we do a little bit of both here, looking back to learn from the past and looking forward to evolve. So what does left hand mean to me? Well, lately it's been a soft landing place for me where I can reconnect with a lot of wonderful people. After quite a rocky year, you see, I recently lost another partner, this time not to death, but to the whims of life and love. She essentially just left one day, but made sure to do it in ways which would de devastate me financially and emotionally. I was crushed. I am crushed. And left hand has given me the space to just breathe and be and sob through worship as the week and my grief catches up with me. Often during the song, if you take a peek at me, there's usually tears running down my face. But most of all, left hand reminds me to ask myself, do I want to be defined by my trauma or do I want to be defined by my freedom? When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. It's time to go into the dark, where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. Thing. The world was made to be free in. You must give up all other worlds except the ones to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Mm -hmm. 
This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.